welcome to the NL full-time playoff special. Now, there's a big event happening over this weekend. Yes, it is the National League playoffs, of course. I don't know what else you were thinking of. And uh, we are going to look across all three divisions and see who will be given the golden crown next weekend of promotion. Uh, joining me, we have various guests and we're going to start off with the National League. So joining us to look over the National League playoffs, we have Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. Hi, guys. We've got Joe Pope. He's going to be with us for the whole of the podcast, so uh, a long shift for you today, Joe. Yeah, great to be back on. Best time of the year, so uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And also joining us for this section, we have our special guest is... Recently appointed Dagenham and Redbridge manager Ben Strevens. Hello, Ben. Hi, right, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, first few weeks at Dagenham, as we were just talking then off air, you've, you've, it's, it's been good in a way because you've got four or five weeks to assess it and then you can just go bang in the summer. You're not coming in cold then, are you? No, yeah, it's been really good. You know, really pleased to be back. I've seen loads of um, friendly faces, obviously, when I played there a, few, a good few years ago now. And, um, yeah, give me a chance to assess the squad, give everyone a fair chance. So, yeah, it made things easier for me in this sort of summer period we've got coming up and a um, bit of clarity in what I need to do moving forward, to be honest. It's got a lot of potential, that football club, hasn't it? Maybe under underachieved the last couple of seasons. So you'll be looking to take it on. And as you say, it's a club you know well. Yeah, look, it's, I think with the uh, investment that they had the last sort of five years, I think everyone all of a sudden thought, oh, they're going to be trying to win the league or get promoted. Now, I've had a really strong squad the last couple of years, but um, it's a tough league. Everyone knows that. So, it's um, yeah, it's just about me going in there, maybe understanding the football club a little bit and understanding how it works. Nothing's really changed, if I'm being honest, um, behind the scenes. So, I've got to try and help it improve the best I can. But, um, yeah, it's a brilliant little football club and um, one where we want to be trying to challenge for them places. Uh, obviously, the playoffs we're going to talk about today, but being in and around it next year, that's what we want to try to do. But, um Realise everyone's going to be trying to do that. And I've got to ask you, Ben, it still hurts a little bit to have lost in the FA on middle of the season. Obviously, you weren't part of that. You came into it. But um, my goodness me, the most... He's 32 years old now and he's belying sort of that age, you know, as a centre forward. Um, the most prolific return of a 15-year career. And he's he gives you almost everything you want up front because more and more I feel you need a focal point up front and he's he's pretty good with the ball at his feet as well as occupying defenders isn't he? Yeah no he's, he's, he's obviously a real plus at the end of the season the goals he scored and the goals he scored for all the shot but um, I had an honest conversation with him I'm not going to lie this past week he just said that um, for someone who scored the goals that you have the last how many years in the National League you've never been in the team fighting for promotion so um how are we going to make that happen? How are we going to get you and the team to, you know, be where you want to be so that your goals really, really mean something? Um, you know, these goals that we added and losing McCallum and Walker and Marias and things like that was really important to the group. And, you know, I think looking back on it now, the goals he scored for Aldershot was probably the main reason that you guys got so many points as you did as well. But, um, yeah, that's my challenge to him now and the challenge for himself. You know, like you said, he's 32. He wants to be successful. So can his goals next year help fire us up and around them playoff places. That's uh, what we both want. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say his goals definitely helped keep all the shot up. Um, and, and there's no doubt that there was a downward turn after he moved on because it's difficult when you, you, you forged a way of playing and all of a sudden the big man's not there. But uh, yeah, well done. Just want to say well done to Um Understand his reasons for moving on as well. And uh, yeah, congratulations on the best season of his career. Over to you, Joe. Yeah, well, from one best season of his career to another one in, in Josh Hare. Um, ben, how, how nice is it to be back um, managing Josh Hare? Obviously, he was brilliant for you at Eastleigh in that eighteen nineteen campaign. How nice is it to, to be back managing him again? Yeah, look, he's another one about talking about conversations I've had this week. I sort of said when um, when he left me in eighteen nineteen, he was the best right back, right wing back in the league. That's why he got voted in team of the season and he went to Bristol Rovers. And then, you know, I signed him back for Eastleigh before obviously when I left and then just inherited him at Dagenham. So it's, I want to help him as well get back to his best because he's a, he's a quality footballer, a real nice person as well. Um, and I think, yeah, I think his deliveries and balls into the box is one of his biggest strengths. I think we need to sort of 
getting back to doing that. You know, he's played right side centre half quite a lot this season. I don't see him playing there for me in the future. I want him to be right back or right wing back, and I think that will get him higher up the pitch and back to the Josh that I know can be one of the best right backs in the league. So, but yeah, I'm glad he's there. He's a character I know really well, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that he's part of Dagenham. I'm joining. Uh, he's joining me, and I'm joining him at the same time. And obviously, without revealing too much about next season, do you see yourself trying to sort of put in the, the mould that you used at Eastleigh at Dagenham using a similar sort of system and style? I think, look, I think, I think the main thing that I know from going to Dagenham is, is, you know, I was really lucky to be part of something successful there under John Steele and winning the National League. And I know I understand the fans and, and um, what they want to see. And they want to see young, hungry, high-energy um, football. They're not, you know, they don't want it to be passed around the back for 20, 30 passes. They want to see high-energy front foot all over the pitch. And, um, yeah, I've got to try and do that with the boys that I've inherited because I've got players under contract and then try and add a few players around the sides to go with it. But, um, but I also feel like I was really lucky at Eastleigh. I sort of had a core of sort of senior players. I still feel like we're a couple of leaders within the group down. Um Obviously, Dean Rance left. I think he was quite big for the changing room. Obviously, Angelo Ballant has been there as one of the captains. But I think, you know, more of a standout leader type within the group will really help us um, to manage things on the pitch. So, a little bit of a mixture, if I'm being honest. We're, we are going to try and get some experience in, but also some fresh blood, young, um, energetic boys as well. Moves me nicely into my last question very quickly before we move on and review all the playoff games. In that last time you were on the pod, obviously you were working in an academy. So will that help you kind of knowing maybe having a finger on the pulse who's going to be released, he'll be available for loan next year and you can maybe get a jump on everyone? Um, yeah, look, I think Luton wise, I will. Obviously, I've got a really good relationship with Paul Benson, just been named academy manager now. So it's really good for me to be able to have you him as a connection. But I'm really lucky with my assistant as well, uh, Lewis Young, that come in with me that was obviously working at Crawley. He's got really, really good connections with him. Sort of Millwall, Charlton, Tottenham. He's one of his um, boys actually plays for Tottenham in their academy and stuff. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to look at that as well. We're going to look, see what's about maybe, um, loans from them type of ones but it has to be the right type of loans that come out of them places because the National League is it's not a football league but it's tough for any boys coming out of academies because it's different to what they're used to so it's someone that's got to be ready for it but um, yeah we're going to look at everything I'm not going to lie we're going to look at the already started to look at the, the National South and North and other leagues you know about players that's in and around that and potentially some academy boys um, but like I said with a mixture of you know some experience for all good footballers to go with it and know the league already and been in it or in and around it so we're going to look at the eliminators which took place then so Rob you were at the game at the Hive weren't you between Barnet and Boreham Award for the right to face Notts County of course Ben had first hand experience of Barnet the last game of the season Dagenham went and won there we were just talking before we came on the pod and, and Barnet they kind of they rested a few players for this time. I hope that they get through. But ultimately, it was Boreham Wood and Luke Garrard who get through. Yeah, I must admit, in terms of the preparation for the game, it suited Barnet. They were able to to, to rest and rotate players, weren't they? Boreham Wood, of course, went into that final day, still technically needing a point. You know, they only needed a point from the last two games, and you know they got across the line in the end. But uh, Luke Garrard couldn't afford to take any chances in that final game uh, on the Saturday before. Um, Barnett started the game well I must admit in the first 15 uh, minutes or so I, I did think uh, I'd arrived at the hive thinking I just can't call this I don't know which of these teams is going to come through two really nousy managers two very efficient sides and Barnett started the better of the two teams and I just started to formulate in my head I think they might do it and then classic Boreham Wood up the other end really neat calm, composed finish from Lee and Love, and they got the lead. It was a precious lead, something Boreham Wood are so adept at hanging on to, and they got a bit of insurance just before half-time with a second goal for and Love. And at that point, you thought it's going to be a very long way back for, um, for Barnett in this one. As a spectacle, the game got even better, if you like, um, early on in the second half because Barnett got a goal back and that left us, you know, it saved the game from fizzling out. But uh, they weren't able to create enough. Um, Boreham did a job. Did they cross the line with the job that they did on Idris Kanu? Debatably. Um, should one of the tackles on Idris Kanu been, you know, 
punished with a red card. I, I think it's another argument worth debate, but Borenwood got the job done um, and uh, you couldn't deny them that achievement on the night. Um, and after the game, I managed to catch up with uh, defender Will Evans and the manager Luke Garrard. Will Evans, bit sneaky interview on the way off here. You got the job done. Uh, two goal lead at half time helped. Um, you needed that second goal, didn't you, in the end? But um, good job, well done. And uh, tell us what's it like to Mark Smith. <laughs> to be fair, yeah, that's the first time I've ever come against it, up against him. Uh, he's a handful. To be fair, he's got. Everything as a striker, he's good in the air, he's good with his feet, he's got pace, so yeah, he was a handful to be fair, but I felt we dealt with him quite well, him and Kabamba, Kabamba's been on form as well, so mm. obviously I know Nicky from older shot days, so yeah, obviously I'm buzzing for him because he's had a good season, but um, obviously we're, we're delighted to get through. And the big man up front and love, a couple of nice finishes, really calm yeah. finishes, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, because um, we played on Saturday and to be fair, the geezer looked dead for about 70 minutes, so um, yeah, no, he's done unbelievable to get get back ready for prepared to, for today so yeah and I think pretty obvious to all that Ashmore's limping yeah. around a little yeah. bit but you had no keeper on the bench so he had to mm. stick it out and he got through it yeah no obviously I'm the keeper so <laughs> you're you, it's you, you's going in there is yeah, it yeah yeah but no obviously yeah, Ash, Ash is Ash and it'll never give up so yeah credit to him to be fair Luke, you got it through two goal lead at half time and you needed that, that little bit of insurance in the end but you saw it through Oh, they stuck it right on us, let's be honest. I changed shape, changed personnel, went to the big and right wing back because Harry Smith was put in all different angles. Um, didn't really have many saves. He pushed one to the right-hand side, but now credit to the lads. Listen, you see a celebration there. That's not celebrating a playoff eliminator. That's celebrating getting bragging rights. And no disrespect, they wanted us, wanted to beat us. We wanted to beat them. And to have the opportunity to do that and come to a team that have performed superbly this year, um, full credit to the boys and love two cool finishes um, Will Evans tells me he wasn't much cop at the weekend but he got you through tonight <laughs> I listen he, he's our top goal scorer for a reason I think he's on 16 now um, condition conditions is a problem for him seeing out the 90 minutes but he had to because we were going to bring him off instead of Tyrone and Marshall and Marsh, he should get a second yellow but look for me tonight it's irrelevant what goes on we just won 2-1 that's, that's, the, that's the big result and I saw at the final whistle straight over to those fans because they made a hell of a noise tonight that was a terrific following wasn't it yeah listen we lost in the last minute here on the 93rd minute and for me they've come out in their numbers we wanted more we wanted more so for me in terms of uh, fans but yeah no look I'm over the moon yeah Ben you were just saying uh, as well that apparently you, um, you've never lost to Luke Garrard so I'd be glad that he's not facing dagging him in the playoffs but how, how do you see their prospects they're they're a really tough team to play against, and they always are. And I think I think there's three out of the last six years. Luke's got them to the the playoffs, um, and now anyone that plays against them, especially if they get that early goal, they are so good at um, protecting what they've got. They're organised, but within that, you know, I know Payne, the centre midfielder, the other two boys in the midfield area, they're good footballers as well. So they've got quality within the team. And um, yeah, look, Luke has beat me, but it was an FA Cup game. I think not the league game, but he's um, he's had a, he's another really, really good season as manager. And um, yeah, look, to go and win up Barnet in a playoff game to get to the semi-final now is um, a real big achievement for him. Yeah, well, uh, Ben touched on it nicely there in that if there's one team you don't want to go 2-0 down to uh, in a game which is uh, high margin, then uh, you don't want it to be Bourne Wood. Uh, because you know that at 2-0, they're going to strangle the life out of any game uh, and try and make it as boring as possible to try and win a game of football which is it's fine because that's different you know different teams play different styles but at 2-0 uh, down to Boreham Wood you certainly don't want to be in that position and it was interesting do you remember the game at Wrexham uh, where uh, Boreham Wood took the lead early on in that game and Wrexham found a way to turn it round but I saw somebody interviewing Luke Garrard after the game and he said Really enjoyed today. There was, you know, some good football on the show from both sides, and Luke counted it. He went, "That's not really our game." He said, "With spoilers," and you know, and 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 it was almost like he he says, "We know who we are. We know where our strengths are," and he doesn't make any apology for it, does he, Ben? I, I, that's you know what's the biggest thing about it. Always just knowing who you are, how how you want to do things, and and some people it might not be for them, but that's that's up to them. But you look at the teams. Certainly, I've watched these eliminator games to go through. You know, they're, they're hard teams to play against. Wokens are hard teams to play against. So, 
Barnet, Bournemouth, and obviously Bromley as well. You know, the, the teams that are waiting for them now are different types of teams in Notts County and Chesterfield. But um, yeah, you have to respect what they do and everyone sticks to the game plan. And um, it's lovely playing free-flowing football. But if you haven't, can't do that, it's also another way of the way they've defended. And I think they've seen the least amount of goals in the league this year, haven't they, Bournemouth? So... Um, yeah. full credit for the work he must do on the training pitch and, and the defensive work that they do as a group not just the defence I think it's from front to back Yeah there's three there's three things in life isn't it? there's death taxes and boring and having uh, the least goals conceded in the National League and, and Joe they're going to have to kind of they're going to have to spoil Notts County aren't they if they're going to get anything out of this game I think Absolutely um, there's the pressure will all be on Notts but I think that will suit them actually um, you know, they loved spoiling the party. It looked like they were going to on the um, when they went one up against Wrexham uh, for a very short while. But uh, yeah, you know, they'll enjoy uh, trying to spoil it. I must say it's, you know, the big, biggest clash of styles you're ever going to see. Um, and I think if Bournemouth are to win against Notts, then they, I think I said in the, in the WhatsApp before all the games started in the playoffs, in that they must score first. Bournemouth, because if they go one down to Notts County, you're then having to ask a team that don't really look to be that open or expansive, try to then come from behind to have to score um, against Notts. So, yeah, if they get a goal um, early on, then they will do what they know best, and that's defend and keep it tight and who knows. But, yeah, it's going to be a big effort to beat Notts County. Uh, ben, how do, how do you see it going then? Obviously, everyone's waxed lyrical about Notts County's style of football this year. I mean, any other year they'd have walked the division, wouldn't they? But it's just unfortunate they had Wrexham above them. Yeah, I think I think they're brilliant. I think they've probably been the, the standout team in the league for me. That's nothing against Wrexham because they deserve to win it. But um, they've been relentless in what they've done, Wrexham. But the way Notts County play and... Um, no, I might be proved wrong because Bournemouth are a team that can go and do it, but I think I think Notts County are going to have too much for everyone in these playoffs. Um, but everything changes in these playoff games, and what they deserve to happen may not happen. But I think with the attacking threats they've got and the way they sort of push you back and the way they play football, it's going to be really hard for anyone going to Notts County and dealing with that. And then if they get through, it's a massive if. At Wembley as well, playing that way as well, would be really hard to stop them. But um, they're a fantastic football club, with you know, and they've done things really well. A couple of lads coming out of um, National North, you know, it's not they've not gone and bought established league players. I know they've added a few, but um, I think the way they do things at Notts County is really good. The thing I would say on that, I absolutely agree with Ben, that I think they will win the playoffs and should have too much, but they've got to stick to what they do so well. It's easy to say that in a game of such pressure. But when I watched Notts County against Wrexham the other day, um, I I was really confused and really frustrated wanting Notts to win, given that they kind of didn't play the ball on the ground as much. They were brought into going a bit more direct and they were, you know, Bournemouth will do that. So that's fine. But they've got to stick to trying to play, trying to, you know, be patient, take their time um, and work the openings. Um they didn't do it against Wrexham, ultimately, a couple of weeks ago. They got sort of fell into the trap of, well, they're going direct, so we'll play a little bit more direct. And it doesn't work. You know, Notts County are the best side by an absolute country mile when the ball's on the floor. And if they do keep it on the floor, I think they will win these playoffs fairly comfortably. Rob, I think the big thing going in Notts County's favour is it's not like they've just missed out the final hurdle in the deflated. Luke Williams has kind of been for the last sort of five or six weeks saying well, we're going to finish runners-up. So they've almost sort of mentally prepared themselves for these playoffs, haven't they? Whereas some teams aren't ready for them. Yes, I think that's to their credit. I think Luke Williams is to their massive credit. I mean, I've paid compliments to him across this season. But what I really like and why I think when we get right down to the crunch of it that Notts County will prevail is because they as a team have found different ways to win matches in the National League this season. Um, I mentioned it before, I don't want to repeat myself, but both times Aldershot played and Aldershot gave Notts County a lot of trouble in the first half an hour and then Notts County simply changed the way they were playing. They counted it, they got on top and they ended up winning by three goals both times. Um, 
And, and, and Luke Williams, Ben, um, I, I, I don't know, um, forgive me, I don't know if you've come up against him this season or not, but uh, what a first season at the National League for Williams. No, yeah, I haven't come up against him. But uh, yeah, look, full, full respect for the job he's done. I think, you know, Birchland's done a real good job before, but I think he's taken it on to another level this year. Um, but I just think it's the way they do things. I think they're, um, I think the whole football club's aligned with what they're trying to do. Um in, in terms of whoever comes in to be the, the head coach, manager, however you want to say it, I think has to fit into the way they want to do things at Notts County. Um, the way they're recruiting, the way the stat space stuff they're doing that goes along with it, everything's planned out. I just know this from, you know, the junior Marais Rush just before the, the window ended and it was because he was standing out in a certain thing that they wanted. Um, I just think they've got a real clear plan and it's shown across the season. If it weren't for the season that Wrexham has had, you know, the, the points that they've amassed, goals they've scored, I think they would have won pretty much every National League for the last however many years. So, look, they probably deserve to win the playoffs, but we all know that it don't work out that way. Bournemouth are a team that can come and beat anyone on their day in sport. You know, I remember going to Bournemouth, was it last year, the year before, and beating a Premier League team one. So, they're capable of stopping them, but, yeah, top top class manager at this level and a very, very good football team as well. The other eliminator saw Walking take on Bromley and, and you were there, weren't you, Ben? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was a game that I wanted to go to because I hadn't seen Woking for a while and I hadn't seen Bromley. And um, I just think Bromley went into it in a good end of season form. And I just think Woking, not that they, I just didn't they think that they played as well as I think they could have done on the night. I don't know whether... Um, you know, a bit of tiredness for a, a, a hard season as it has been. Maybe being at home, most people think that's a good thing, but sometimes it means you've got to be on the front foot rather than the away team. A um, few injuries and stuff that they may have had leading into it as well. But um, I have to be honest, I think on the night, Bromley probably des- deserved to win the game. And I think their form leading into it probably was a big part of that as well. I think they had a good end to the season, Bromley, and um, come out on top on the night. Yeah, um, Ben, I, I wasn't able to get there, but I watched the game and... Um... You know, I've got to applaud a different side of Darren Sahl, really. One where, you know, like so many managers would have come on bemoaning their luck or a refereeing decision or something else. But I think there was a lot of respect between him and Bromley and, and, and Woodman. And, and Bromley showed their respects as well. No loud music in the change room, no over-the-top celebrations. They respected the fact that it was a difficult blow for Woking on the night. And Saul accepted that Woking didn't really turn up. They didn't really play to their strengths. And and you have to give Woodman and Bromley credit for that. It was difficult for Woking. They'd just come into it slightly out of form and without the services of the prolific Reese Brown, who's... Uh, you know, notched 20 goals in all competitions at Wealdstone and at Woking this season. And, and Jim Kellerman, bless his heart, um, he just doesn't have a lot of luck in playoffs. I remember him having a stinker in the first game against Tranmere for Aldershot, giving the ball away crucially. I think he got injured in another one and then he got injured in the first half again. So, yeah, the, the wind wasn't quite in the right direction for, for Woking on the night. But um, Saul's done really well. I know, I know he's been well-backed. But that's only the second season Woking have been full-time and he's put some real foundations in place, Ben, hasn't he? Yeah. No, I, I think that's... I think following on from, obviously, Dallas, I think, I think it's everyone knows that they've had a little bit more to play with this year in terms of being able to recruit some players. But he um, he has a certain way of playing. He knows the type of players he wants as well. Um, and they always seem to... They're always really tough to play against. And I didn't come up against it this year, but the... Um, the staff that was left behind at Dagenham and certainly the players from talking to them, they said they were one of the best teams they played against this year. I think the spell when they played them was when Woking was on a really good run. Just said they was um, in your face, front foot, like you said, quality in the final third. Um, and then they just got a centre-half that really want to defend. That's the big thing of them. And they look like they enjoy defending their defenders. Um, so I just think it is. It's timing in the playoffs. You go into it in different types of form. They probably wasn't quite at their maximum. And um, Romney had gone in you know, needing to have a good end of the season to nick that last playoff place. And I think sometimes that's a good place to be. And I remember doing it with Eastley. You go in with a bit of momentum um, into the playoffs and um, probably that's what ultimately done it on the day. I remember going to Wrexham and seeing your Eastley side winning extra time. Then ultimately you were a penalty kick away from beating Salford. Do you think because you finish the season and almost you're straight into the Eliminators, that you have that momentum when you reach the semi-final, whereas like Notts County and Chesterfield have had a week off, haven't they, almost to sit and watch and they, they might be caught cold slightly. 
yeah, we I, I just we had to obviously we was in the last places to get in. So pretty much all the games we played at the back end of our season was we had to try and win them to to even have a chance of getting in. I think it was fight with Ebsley and Gateshead it was at the time, if I remember like, rightly from it. So we went into the, the playoff places sort of needing to win games before it, so being used to it and um Beating Wrexham, we didn't have any preparation going to Salford, but actually it actually worked out really well for us. And although Salford beat us on pennies, I thought we looked fresher in extra time, just where we had played in a week. Sometimes when you have over a week off and you're waiting, sometimes it's not a good thing either. We went with some momentum into the game and we actually looked quite strong in extra time against them. Um, but they deserve to be the two teams that are there waiting. You get the home, home game, which you hopefully you know think works out well for you. And if there has been any little niggles and injuries at the end of the season, they've got a bit of time to rest and recover for the games at the weekend. So um, it'll be interesting to see how both Notts County and Chesterfield play um, tomorrow in the games. Yeah, I remember interviewing you after that um, Rexa game. You basically went, well, we're going to go home and then sort of sleep for 12 hours and come back up to Salford. And that, that was your prep, really, just <laughs> sat on a coach, wasn't it? It was mad that night because um, Joey Jones got injured at Wrexham and the, um, on the way back on the coach, his ankle blew up a little bit. So we had to take him to the hospital. So I don't think we got back till, can't even remember what time it was after Wrexham. And uh, I gave him the next day off. And then the day after that, we was travelling back to Salford. We stopped at a place on the way. It was like a cryo chamber or whatever it was. The boys did that, done some stretching. And then we rolled and played against Salford. But, uh, so they hadn't actually touched the ball for a couple of days. But um, yeah, they were just... It, when you get to the playoffs, the, the momentum and the, the good feelings and the way you are around and how important it is to everyone, it just takes care of everything else anyway. All the excuses and all the things go out the window. And um, yeah, I, I look back now, I still haven't never watched the game back. It's mad. I've never watched that sort of game back. But in my head, I, I believe we should have won. I'm probably wrong, but in my head, I'd rather believe that than that. <laughs> Watch it think we went at our best. But it, was, uh, it was good to be involved in. Chesterfield then will be the test for Bromley and... Decent run of form for Chesterfield. They had that really, they had that wobble, didn't they, around January, February time. And there were some doubts, even amongst the Chesterfield fans, that they might not make the playoffs. They, they are in there. I think the signing of Dallas has really helped them. McCallum, he's there, isn't he? He's a focal point. Maybe not scored as many goals as he thought, but with Dallas there now, they'll have that momentum, Chesterfield. But as we know, Bromley have that experience, as we saw with the FA Trophy last year. And they, a bit like Boreham Wood, they'll, they'll come and try and spoil, won't they? Yeah, no, look, Chesterfield, they're, they're a really good team. And I've got to say, I, I'd i never met Cook before, but we played him a few games before the end of the season. He, he's a real character as a manager, honestly. He, he was he was making me laugh after the game. He's full of energy, full of life. And if I don't know what he's like on his training ground, but being around him, I would want to be playing for him. And um, I feel like I've got some fantastic footballers. Obviously, Maka that I know really well. Was that, like you said, the vocal point for Dallas is... Come into some good form as well. I don't think he started the best room, but the end of the season he's had really good. Um, and obviously Cole Clough one side and whether Dobra's back as well. They've, they've got real good attacking threats and um, it'll be a tough test for Bromley, but Bromley are in good form showing that the other night. So I think it'll be a, a tough game for both teams and slightly fancy just of all just because they're at home, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Bromley go there and do it because of you know the success they've had already in the playoff games and the experience of that, like saying, the trophy win last year. I just wanted to pay tribute to the third of those three forward players that um, Chesterfield have brought in. I think as they slipped around the turn of the year a little bit, Chesterfield, I think it's evident that Cook identified the t- you know th- that they were lacking a bit in the forward line and they brought in McCallum that you've talked about and they brought in Dallas later on, didn't they? But they also brought in Ryan Colclough, who her, I think was one of a couple of match winners that Altrincham have lost. And um, he's been superb. And, you know, he was a match winner at Altrincham. And when he first came into Chesterfield, he wasn't getting in the starting lineup, but he continually came off the bench and scored goals. He scored late equalisers. He scored late winners. And eventually has had to force his way you know, more into that for in, into that lineup, And I think he's just proving now, you know, at a bigger club, if you like, uh, a club really fighting at the top end of the league, that he can play a real part in that. And I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, he comes up in the uh, the end of season, uh, you know, National Team of the Year awards, because he's been superb, Cole Clough, hasn't he, Ben? He's another one that's done it across two different clubs across the season. There's a bit of a theme, isn't there, with Brown and with Effion and with Cole Clough. They've hit the ground running. 
Yeah, he's he's a brilliant. I like I really liked him last year as well. I thought the attacking players at Altrincham had in the wide areas. I thought they were really really good when they isolate you one v one. And um, I think most managers were big fans of Coldclough this year. I think Chesterfield would uh, would know things they're able to do. They've been able to get him into the the building. But um, yeah, on his day one v one can go both ways to cross or come inside and get shots away. Um, look, he, he could be the difference on the day. I think he's a really really good footballer, but. Um, also, from knowing Maka, you know, if they get good balls into the box at any point, the way, he, you know, he can pull off on the back stick at any moment to score a goal or to set up a chance for someone else. Um, but Bromley's got three centre-halves that can deal with that sort of stuff as well. Maybe he might be a Colclough type or a Dallas slightly deeper away from them three centre-halves coming in field and getting shots away and doing little bits of 1v1 stuff might make the difference on the day. But um, yeah, Colclough is a standout wide player in the league for me. I think he's a very good footballer. No, no, I, I just think uh, Callclough will be the match winner. Um, as much or as good as Kellen Fisher has been this season for Bromley, um, real breakthrough young player for them. Um, he's been brilliant uh, and obviously Topolage on the other side. Um, I think it will be a game where just that perhaps that little bit of inexperience could, not saying it will, but it could um, be a factor, um, especially for a player as intricate and as and as skillful as, as Coldclough, that could be the difference for them. Just before we let we go, you know, we, we, like lots of people, are really trying to step up our campaign for the whole thing that we all want, three up, three down from the Football League. Um, just to get your um, opinion on that, I mean, as, as the manager of a club like Dagenham, you're always going to be up against big budget sides, you know, clubs that get maybe five, six, seven, eight thousand it's hard, isn't it, to just try and squeeze into one of those two playoff places? I just wondered if you wanted to have your say on that. Uh, look, I think, I think all of us want it, you know. I think it's deserved as well. I think there's some fantastic football clubs in the National League. And I think the, the big point of all it is, is that how well the teams do when they come from National League into League Two. Um, they show they can you know, match it and do well up there. So I think it'll happen, whether it be next year or the year after. I think good news is coming. I think there will be three up, three down. That's what we're all hoping. Fingers crossed. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, thank uh, Ben. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you for having me on. Um, it'd be interesting to see. I'm going to be watching this uh, games weekend now. All the stuff we're saying could be completely wrong, couldn't it? So, um, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to watching both the games. I think that's the beauty of this, the National League. You know, all what we think is going to happen. I don't think any of us would be surprised if Bournemouth and Bromley end up winning the games either. But that's what makes the playoffs really good in the National League. So, thanks for having me on and discussing it. I'll be watching on like you guys will. Good luck to Dagenham and Redbridge this season, uh, this coming season, our next season now. Thank you. And we're now going to look at the North. Dickie and Joe are here. And it was an interesting evening, wasn't it, in the National League North Eliminators? I feel like I've got to say it in a really sort of dramatic voice and put some echo on uh, <laughs> for all those. But the game you were at, Dickie Elfton against Kidderminster, wasn't dramatic, was it really? Um, no, it wasn't. Thrills um, were in fairly short supply. Um, I, I saw a, before the game started, Alfreton, obviously in expectation of a big crowd, had put out a tweet saying, please arrive early um, because of crowds. If you didn't arrive early, then you probably missed the only goal of the game because Amari Morgan-Smith scored Kidderminster's winner after 33 seconds. Um, and they then proceeded to almost out out Alfreton Alfreton in some respects um, um Alfreton <laughs> uh, uh, well you think so yeah I was concentrating hard there um yeah I thought I was very impressed with Kidderminster on the night obviously they're coming to the playoffs on a really really good run of form they'd won six out of six in the league through April I don't know if there is a manager of the month prize or even if he'd want it but you'd think that Russ Penn would be in line for that based on those kind of stats and they were unbeaten for that uh, for longer as well. I think they'd had maybe three draws going into that. So it was just a continuation of the form they'd finished the season on. Um, and I thought Kidderminster looked very organised, pretty solid. Um, everybody who was on the field seemed to buy into the fact that they they knew they were going to have to defend against Alfreton and defend against the kind of pressure that Alfreton put you under of like the high ball. Um, and I think the fact that they frustrated Alfreton um, in the way that Alfreton often do to other teams, showed you, um, A, they got their game plan really, really well worked out. So full marks to Russ Penn for that one. Um, but also spoke a lot for the the, the spirit um, and the togetherness in that Kidderminster side in that, you know, everybody bought in. Um, and 
I, I wouldn't say thoroughly deserved, but you know, in in a tight contest, they they got the job done. Um, so yeah, big credit to them. Yeah, and after the game, you caught up with Kidderminster manager Russ Penn. A very satisfied smile from uh, Russ Penn, manager of Kidderminster Harriers, after your one 0 win at Alfton Town this evening. You you got to be happy with what you saw from your team. Really committed effort. Yeah, I think that's you, you've nailed it there. Um, wasn't a great spectacle football wise, but um, didn't, didn't expect anything less really today. Two teams just fighting. Um, great determination from both sets of players. Um, one goal has been enough tonight. Unfortunately, it was just. With, with the run you've been on to actually get into the playoffs, six six wins out of six in April, I mean, you, you must have been feeling fairly confident coming into this one, but they're a tough proposition, aren't they? Alfred? Yeah, they are, listen, really confident because momentum's with us at the moment. Um, I think Alfreton have looked a little bit leggy as well. And uh, But what I will say, when you come here, it becomes a leveller straight away because you can't control the game. Uh, Mitch Lund's throwing everything in from everywhere. It's a great tool for them. Um, and we've had to uh, defend physically and with determination we've done that tonight to keep a clean sheet at this place is, uh, is, is fantastic I think that was one of the biggest things I took from this evening is it was a very committed effort from you know 1 to 11 uh, across the field from, from your team yeah it was um, I thought to be honest I thought we needed two goals to win the game um, you're always on edge and you're throwing away from being getting sucker punched you know so um Hopefully, um, you know, the lads have, have come off full bit of health going into Sunday now. Um, full momentum going into King, Kings Lynn. We've done the job tonight. We'll celebrate and um, back on it Thursday. Sure. Um, your thoughts when that goal went in so early as well? <laughs> well, we, 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 made, we made a bit of a trend of it scoring early in the last five weeks. The only thing is you've got to wait 92 minutes to, to, uh, to win the game. <laughs> I've never wanted a game to finish so early. Um, but no, we've started games really well lately and um, effectively they've won us the game because we haven't conceded. We've only conceded one in the last eight and that was a penalty. So um, long may that continue. And Kings Lynn on Sunday, as you mentioned there. Looking forward to that one? I am. Two full-time teams. Um, different kind of game than tonight. Big pitch, uh, longer longer travel. So we'll do things right. Um, we'll go down there Saturday and we'll plan and prepare properly. The other tie went the distance, didn't it? There was a lot more drama in this one, wasn't there? Brackley against Gloucester. Yeah, there was. I, I, was, I was watching the Alfreton Kidderminster game on Tuesday, and you know we often tend to talk about playoff games as oh they're tight, you know nobody wants to make a mistake. And then you think about some of those playoff games we saw in the National League last year, particularly you know Wrexham four Grimsby five, where defending just seemed to go out the window. Um, the first half of Brackley and Gloucester on Wednesday evening was tight. And then in the second half, it was almost as if both teams knew, you know, you've got to go for it. You've got 45 minutes left to, to potentially define your season and you've got to have a go. And in the second half, um, the, the breaks came off. And then, yeah, Gloucester took the lead. Um, a really, really well-constructed goal. I think it was Kieran Phillips that, that put them ahead. Um Brackley struck back. Theo Robinson claimed their first goal. Uh, he's somebody who got to know a little bit this season because he was doing um, guest radio commentary on a few Telford games when he was uh, without the club. Um, he's ended the season at Brackley and scored a really, really important goal for them. Um, just the, the faintest of flicks onto a header to, to direct it beyond Brandon Hall in the lost goal. Brackley then took the lead. Cosmos Matwasa uh, gave them the lead with a shot from 20 yards. And it looked like Brackley had got the job done at that stage. What, like but lift off, didn't it? <laughs> it did, yes. I mean, again, he's another player I'm familiar with. Scored a couple to knock Telford out of the FA Cup a few years ago. Um, um Gave Royce lots of out of this world gags in my uh, newspaper column, which Reaching you wouldn't stars, surprise you. Yes, yes, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it, there was an awful lot of added time added on. And in the 10th minute of injury time, Sean Spence equalised for Gloucester. Literally, it must have been the last throw of the dice, last hurl of the ball into the penalty area. Um, and it went to extra time in penalties, no goals in extra time. And then in um, the penalty shootout, Kieran Phillips was the the man to miss his penalty. Uh, Same miss. It was actually saved by Danny Lewis, hugely experienced player for Brackley. Glenn Walker, again, he's been out of the Brackley lineup, but was restored to the team by Gareth Dean, with him having taken over um, from Roger Johnson just a few weeks ago. And those old stages for Brackley, those experienced heads got the job done. Walker's winning penalty, um, Lewis's save, and yeah, they progress to a semi-final with Chester tomorrow. 
And Joe, really interesting stat about Steve King. He's never made it through the playoffs, has he? He's never been successful in the playoffs. No. Um, you know, he's got a really good record of getting teams into a playoff, um, but just can't get over the line. Um, but, you know, I think Gloucester would be happy um, with how they've done this season. Um, and I know quite a few of their fans probably wouldn't have expected them to be this far anyway. So, um yeah, a good first season for Steve King. Um, and hopefully next season he'll look to try and go one further and break that sort of that that curse. Based on the form they were going into going into the playoffs, I actually fancied Gloucester for this game because Brackley's form has been I wouldn't say even say up and down. It's been largely down with the occasional draw um positive result thrown here, here and there. But Gloucester have been in tremendous form. But I think Gloucester missed Don McHale on the night. He's been a really important figure for them um, in this run that's gotten to the playoffs. He didn't take part in the game. Um, so I'm sure he would have been a miss. And they've got a lot of t- attacking talent, um, Gloucester. But yeah, when it comes down to penalties, it's it's anybody's guess, isn't it? And yeah, Lewis guessed right for Phillips's penalty. And that was the difference. And the difference as well with this Brackley side is that They've got a manager who's, and, and a few of the players as well, who have experienced defeat. So they kind of, they have got an experience in, of knowing maybe what they need to do and learn from in, in past years. Yes, you'd perhaps think so. I, think, I know um, Gareth Dean's getting a bit of help on the bench from somebody I know very well at the moment. Um, former Telford manager Gavin Cowan is helping him out. Just, um, I think, just running the bench for him. Um Dean can't play, he's injured, so and he's also been quite clear he doesn't want the Brackley job um at the end of the season. Although if Brackley go well in these playoffs, I mean if he were to get promoted, goodness me, what would he do then? We'd have a decision to make. Um he might get the appetite for management from this little spell. We don't know. You know, you can say that you don't fancy something when you've not actually taken the job, and then when you've had a little taste of it, maybe you don't want to step back. So I don't know. But yeah, I, I, it's been a key to getting Brackley safe in that playoff position was restoring some of the players into the side that Roger Johnson didn't seem so keen on picking the likes of Walker, the likes of Wes York. Um, and it's paid off. They've got a few young legs in the team as well, Brackley, now to help them. So um, as much as I would make Chester favourites for their semi-final, um, as you say, it's very much a, a youth against experience in in that tie, I would say. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing who comes out on top. Yeah, you're off to that game, aren't you, on Sunday, Chester against Brackley. Chester have been in, in, in good form, haven't they? They've kind of been in third, but in no man's land for a few weeks now, haven't they? So it's almost like they, they, they know they had a home tie that they'll be ready for it, won't they? You'd very much hope so, yeah. I mean, I know that Callum McIntyre going into their last league game of the season at home last week said... We don't want to have too much of a celebratory element around this game about it being the last game of the season because our season doesn't end here. Um, he was very much about keeping his players in that that mindset that they've had um, for most of the season. They they have thrown in the occasional um, odd result at home, but but Chester um, they've been particularly good on the road. So it. Uh, you know they've got home advantage tomorrow. It's it's sold out in all the Chester areas. The ground are sold out. Brackley don't traditionally take a lot of fans away from home, so it's going to be quite a hostile atmosphere for Brackley. But I do think Brackley have got the experienced players who will be able to cope um, with that situation. And um, yeah, really looking forward to it. And the other semi final, Joey's Kingsland against Kidderminster. I know just before we started recording the pod, you went, "What a game that's going to be." Yeah, um, shame it's not on the telly, but that would be a really, really good one. Um, you know, two good sides and, um, as Dickie said, two full-time sides. Um, so it would be interesting to see how they go up against each other. Um, obviously, Kingsley over the disappointment of, of not winning the league um, against the Kidderminster side who kind of talk about hit and form at the right time. They seem to be the informed team in the whole division um, in the back end of the season. So, yeah, it's going to be a really good one. Um, hopefully a really attacking one as well. Um, both teams got real uh, good attacking players, and yeah, I think it'll I think it'll be close. Um, you know, they always say be wary of the team that just comes into the playoffs at the end of the season. So you could you perhaps uh, would put your money on Kidderminster perhaps to cause another upset. Yeah, I know you mentioned it briefly last week, Dicky, but about Kidderminster 
being like Boston, you know, Boston just kind of came from nowhere and that momentum just took them to the final. We know Kidderminster have had big game experience from the FA Cup last season and I know Russ Penn's bemoaned injuries as well as to why they've maybe not done as well this year. They seem to have the full squad back now, so they can't be underestimated, can they? Yeah, I'm sure Kingsland will be very wary of the the, the threat that, that Kidderminster posed to them. Kidderminster do also have... Um... A bit of a lucky charm in that Shane Byrne is in their side. He was in the Boston side that made that run in last year. He very proudly told me on Tuesday evening when I got a quick word with him that it's the seventh year in a row that he's been in the National League North playoffs. Um, so he is a little bit of a lucky charm, although he doesn't, always, he, oh, he doesn't always seem to get them over the line, unfortunately. I think it was four failures with Brackley. Didn't get there with Boston last season. Kidderminster, obviously, is still open-ended. So um, He's a playing yes, version of Steve of, King then, yeah. <laughs> a little bit, yes. Um, but, you know, he he is the, the sort of player who's been around there, been there and done that, and I think will help Kidderminster um, in that game tomorrow. I can see that one going to extra time quite easily. I could even see that one going to, to penalties as well. Um, Kingsland have also got to get over that disappointment of course of missing out on the title quite late on you know it was still in the balance until filed went to Curzon Ashton the game you were at a couple of weeks ago and won on the Tuesday evening it was still potentially there for for, for Kingsland to win um, they've had a week without a game um, to think about that and to concentrate on on what's ahead of them and and yeah you just hope that they're able to put that to one side now um and give their full efforts to that game tomorrow, which I think could be a cracker. As I mentioned earlier, it might not always be a, a bad thing that you've already played a game in the Eliminator, whereas you've had a week to kind of sweat a little bit in Kingsland's case. So we will let you know what happens next week. We'll be covering all three finals, as, as, as you know. And uh, next we'll be looking at the National League South. So in the National League South, joining Joe now, we have got... Bath City Radio presenter and presenter of the NLS Rap Podcast, Mark Stillman. Hello, Mark. Hiya, Luke. Hope you're well. I'm very well, thank you. Um, it's been uh, an interesting couple of games in the Eliminators, certainly in the National League South. It was a, a dramatic winner for St Albans, wasn't it, away at Chelmsford? It, and it was that man, Sean Jeffries, on the score sheet late on. Yeah, I think it is 29th of the season and the last three he's had to come off the bench. Came on quite early, actually. Came on for Tafari Moore, who came off injured in the first half, which if he can't recover is a big blow for St Albans. But yeah, he he knows where the back of the net is. It's against a former club, so I guess in a way it was inevitable. But yeah, Sean Jeffers, the man yet again, and he'll be pushing to, I think, be in the starting eleven for the next one. Is it a case of if St Albans don't go up that they'll lose Jeffers to a club higher up this season? It feels like it's it's sort of now or never for him to move up the leagues. I'm not sure. The, the impression I got from um, the pod we do, Will Tyro's heavily involved there. I think he does love it at St Albans. I think travel-wise, it's not a million miles away. I think he might be sort of Midlands, just, uh, just lower than the Midlands. And uh, I think he, he does enjoy his time there. He's... he's approaching around 30 I would have thought so maybe he thinks football league is a bit above him yeah he's 31 now so I think he'll be quite comfortable playing at this level he knows he can score at this level he's a very good club in St Albans so we'll have to see but it wouldn't surprise me if whatever happens if they miss out on promotion I expect he'll still be there yeah the thing I the thing I'd say on that Luke is that the one team that I think's probably the the best fit for Jeffers is Boreham Wood in terms of the fact that they've recruited from lower leagues and it's fairly local. But then that comes the problem, as Mark said, of Bourne would want to get promoted to the Football League. So how would he then cope with a team that wants to get up into the Football League? So I, I agree with Mark. I think he'll probably stay, as much as it pains me to say that, because I hope he does move on because he's a very good player. But I think he probably will be there next season. And for Chelmsford, it's been a really good season despite the turmoil off the pitch for them, hasn't it? But um, they've just kind of they've fallen short in these playoffs. I think. Do you think they'll be slightly disappointed because they were they're up in sort of third place for a while for a long time, weren't they, Chelmsford? 
Yeah, they, they've done well this season, a lot better than people expected, actually. I think they've got a, a very canny manager in Robbie Simpson who has got the recruitment right. They Some of the players they signed pre-season, the likes of Charlie Ruff, then moved on again quickly and they still managed to find able replacements. I think Adam Drew is quite heavy in the background there in signing the right players. They, they had a class goalkeeper in Ovi Ejaheri for the first half of the season on loan. He moved on. They got Eddie Beach, who's done well as well. So... I think, yes, of course, they'll be disappointed because they've missed out the final hurdles. The 10th time they failed in playoffs, either at this level or the Isthmian League. But overall, the, the issue with them was that they lacked a, a goal scorer. They didn't have that Sean Jeffers, who ironically is a former Chelmsford player. They had mm. Simeon Jackson scored 13 in all competitions, but five were against sort of lower league clubs in FA Cup, County Cups. And they, they didn't score from open play in their last three. So I think that's what undone them in the end. But I think they can look back and finishing fifth. I think a lot of people would have predicted them to finish in the bottom five, let alone the top five. So they've done very well. Now it's just a case of trying to build and carry it on for next season. A team who have really surprised this season are Worthy. They've moved into the semi-finals. They beat Braintree by two goals to one. Davide Ridari put them ahead on two minutes. Lamar Reynolds equalised on nine minutes. And then a bizarre on goal from Braintree goalkeeper Josh Sims ultimately proved to be the winning goal for Worthing. He went out on Twitter after and blamed the floodlights. But uh, Worthing are flying, aren't they? Yep, they've been up there. All season, uh, they carried on the momentum. They won the Isthmian League last year. They were denied promotion before because of COVID. They've they've got an incredible squad. I look back just a couple of weeks ago, they had to play twice in 24 hours in two competitions and they were still able to make 20 changes. Um, so they worked well. They know how to get the right formula for these games. They're, they're the entertainers for sure. All their games this season have contain 196 goals for and against. I think it'll top the 200 through this uh, playoff mark. They go on even further. They scored 54 in the first half. They really fly out the traps and some didn't score 54 all in. But the thing about Worthing to me is that they overplay. They, they're very keen on the short goal kicks. They usually let a player take it, roll it to the keeper, and it sometimes leads into trouble it doesn't matter what position they are in the game whether they're three or four nil up or three or four nil down it's very pleasing on the eye if you're a neutral but it could be quite stressful and in the end they, they lost 38 points from winning so it could have been even better but I mean four for a first season at this level joint third effectively is remarkable and Adam Hinchwood's done fantastically there yeah sounds a bit like Dawkins-esque then are they worthy in that sense I completely agree. I, I actually said before, very similar to Dorking. They both got the 3G pitch. They both got huge squads turn it around. They both try and play play nice football. I don't sense arrogance about them either, which I didn't with Dorking. I always find Dorking were very friendly, very welcoming when we went there. Worthing were the same. They haven't thought, oh, we've risen up through the leagues. We're going to overtake you always. None of that. Their fans are very modest. In a way, I think their fans are a little bit worried if they do go up because the travel bills and so on will increase they'd have to improve the stadium a bit more there's a distinct lack of things like media facilities which I struggled with this season there but I think yeah comparing them to Dorking is very accurate very fair and in terms of Braintree quickly a bit like Chelmsford a really surprising season for them a surprisingly good season for them yeah uh, it's at home where they flourished really they only lost two games on their own patch so in a way I mean, they finished seventh, which, like you said, about Chelmsford, nobody really would have expected. But the problem was that to then go even further, they would have to win three away games. And I I didn't see it happening. I, I They did amazingly well with a small squad to get to where they are. Their best season since they were relegated back to this level in 2019. So now I suppose they're going to have an anxious wait to see if they get swapped to north because I think they could be the furthest north team in this division depending on what else happens with who gets promoted, what's going on with Yeovil and sort of things you've discussed many a time. But yeah, still for Angelo Harrop's first season in charge, they've done exceptionally well and despite losing, they were they were unlucky to lose actually to Worthing. I think they can be very proud of their efforts. Yeah, well, I, 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 take, the, uh, I take the responsibility for Braintree losing um, and Mark might raise his eyebrows there thinking, really, why why take the responsibility? Well, the reason I say that is because it's been a theme on the pod this year that I give teams the curse. 
and I give the players the curse in the National League South. I said that Slough would be up there. I said that Oxford City wouldn't get in the playoffs. And I, we put out our awards in the week uh, leading up to the game and I put Jack Sims on the shortlist for goalkeeper of the year. And lo and behold, he then punches it into his own net and they lose. So I take responsibility for that one. Um, a very good season, but ultimately a, a little clanger at the end for them. I was going to ask you, Joe, you weren't the one who shone a light in his eye then, were you, for that goal when you were taking responsibility? <laughs> no, 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 not to be. But yeah, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a shame that, you know, he's had a really good season. And then in some ways it could be remembered for, for that. So yeah, um, but as I said, as you said, um, Angela Harrop's done a really good job there. I think I actually predicted them to be down near the bottom uh, this season, as I did with Worthing, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, they've both done really, really well. Interesting comment about the, the switch over to the north potential. I mean, Oxford City, they're further north. They've been in the north before. And it all depends, I suppose, on what they do in the playoffs when they take on Worthing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if Oxford do go north, they've got the slight benefit that Bambury are in though, which isn't a million miles away. Might have one or two more fairly local in the Midlands, which are quite easy to get to. They'll have to have Brackley get on, Tamworth are at that level. But you wonder whether that's a bit of added pressure as well to Oxford City, who, who've had such a good season, their first full season under Ross Jenkins, and whether if they don't go up, or even if they do go up, recruitment has to change. I mean, they're, they're in this strange possibility that they don't know that out of three divisions which they're going to be in next season so it's going to be quite rushed for things like recruitment which people don't take in as much they're not going to suddenly sign players from London if they realise they're going to be playing up at Blythe or Spennymore or whatever a few times this season so it's going to be difficult for them but I'm sure we'll move on to them more soon that they've had a great season too. The thing I would say on that Luke is that I think you know, as much as Mark says that there was this pressure on Oxford City after a good season, I think the pressure is solely on Dartford. Um, I think, you know, they, they yes, they came second, but their managers won the league before. They've got a lot of these players that have been in a playoff before. And I think for the other three teams, it's basically just go and see how far you can take your season and see if you can put a cherry on the cake and, and get a promotion. I think the, you know, I think the pressure is all on Dartford to win it. Before we move on to that game, how do you, how do you see that Oxford-Worthing game going? Um, well, I think it'll be a really good attacking game. Um, you know, Mark said about how brilliant Worthing are, um, and I think it will be a really, really good game. Um, I think this will be a really good test for Worthing as to whether they can adapt their football. I know they won't in terms of style, but whether they can perhaps tinker it at times just to be a little bit more solid out of possession because they are very risky. I think I called them the Dorking of the National League South in our last pod, but not as good. Um, and I, I think it will be a close game. I expect a lot of goals, which means it will end nil-nil now. Was cursed. Um, but yeah, I, 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 would, I, I would go for Oxford City. Um, I, I stuttered there because I was about to say Worthing and then Oxford and then Worthing. So... I'm going to go for Oxford City. Uh, I think they've had the better of the seasons. Um, I think they've got um, the likes of Lolos uh, that's done really well this season. He's been on fire and they have got that more experience at this level and being in a position like this before. Um, And I do, as much as I'd like to see Worthing go up, I do wonder as, as to whether it may be a season early. I know obviously you all want to go up and as a fan you say, yeah, I want to go up, you know, just keep getting promoted. But I really do wonder whether it's a season too early, whether you, whether it's perhaps they need another year of development. You know, we saw that with Dorking. You know, yes, they were disappointed and yes, they wanted to go up as they were ambitious under Mark White. But at the same time, I think that extra year probably helped them in their development to make sure they were ready for the National League. Um, so, yes, I think it would be close. I think it would be high scoring. But I would go for Oxford City. Yeah, I'll add to that. I, I agree with a lot of what Joe says. I The thing with Oxford City is, I mean, they've scored in every home game under Ross Jenkins, and he's been in charge since uh, the turn of last year to go and David Oldfield caretaker. The problem with them is, yes, they do score. They should score a lot more. They played down at Bath City last Saturday. They 
were 1-0 up just before half-time against 10 men and they contrived to lose 2-1. I mean, they, they should have been out of sight by the break. They play some fabulous football. Zach McEachran, who we're going to do our team of the year soon, he'll be my first pick in it. He just creates opportunities from anywhere. They beat Worthing 3-0 at home in February and I can imagine that just the pass completion rate would have been huge across both. It's going to be a very good game of football is why I'm anticipating. We said on our pod yesterday, we worried that maybe they'll cancel each other out, that there'll be maybe a fear. I, I don't think there will be. I just think regardless of whether Claddy Lolos is fixed, he's missed the last couple of games, he might come back in. They've still got Josh Parker up front, who's got 20 in all competitions. So I, I tip Oxford City as well. In fact, they're my favourites to go up. Oh, interesting. So ahead of Dartford then, Joey, you mentioned the pressure is on as they take on St Albans. That kicks off at 12.30 on Sunday. Oxford City against Worthing is 3.30. So all the semi-finals are on the same day across the three divisions. All staggered kickoffs. One at 12.30, one at 3.30. Just so you can enjoy it on NLTV and also on BT Sport. Um, so Dartford, yeah, as we mentioned, Alan Dowson, experience at this level, knows how to get out of this level. Uh, it's got a lot of players playing for Dartford who know how to get out of this level. However, they've been, even though they've been second, it's kind of felt they've flattered to deceive slightly. Would would be right in sort of saying that? Yeah, um, I, I would say so. I don't want to say it's gone a bit stale, but I think because they they probably backed themselves that they knew that even if they had a little wobble during the season and weren't really that consistent, they'd still end up in the playoffs and they'd probably still get second. So I, I don't think there's been sort of the the motivation, that's perhaps not the right word, um, the intense pressure, shall we say, for the likes of the Oxford Cities and the Worthings to, to having to keep winning, knowing that they have to win to get into the playoffs as a Dartford side who probably feel that they could have just coasted into it. Um, I'm not sure what Mark, what Mark thinks, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't back them to win it. Um, I actually said earlier in the week that I think Oxford City will win the playoffs. Um, it's like Mark's had my notes here. Yeah, no, I haven't quite been spying on you, Joe, but I, I do agree with what you say on Dartford. It, they're a strange side, really. I mean, they haven't won back-to-back games since sort of across the turn of the year when they were really challenging Eversley. They did the double over Eversley and we suddenly thought, oh, it's a two potential three-horse race with Haven't who fell away, but that's for another part. And they just recently, it's sort of been win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. And they've always stayed in that second place. They held off Oxford. They Their last win of the season, ironically, is against St Albans, who they've then got this weekend. But what I thought was strange for them, they final game away at Hampton. Understand you need to rest some players and think it will be vital for that game against St Albans. But they they made nine changes. And what's going to happen is they're going to then play again against St Albans. And a lot of those players haven't played for two weeks. And... I, I totally agree that you had to leave out some players. You think, right, he has to play in that game. He cannot pick up an injury. I didn't. I thought it was a bit excessive. And they got a decent nil-nil draw. They should have won, actually. Charlie Shannon missed a few chances. I know Alex Wall is injured as well, so maybe some changes were enforced. But the thing they've got, who you mentioned as well, is Alan Dyson, who got at this level with Woking before. He's, he's an experienced manager. He knows what it's all about. He did a fantastic job at Woking. But I worry that... Dartford just don't have that momentum. They they've their record in playoffs is not good. They've lost in 2017, 18, 2020, and 2022. So the fans will be a little bit edgy if St. Albans start well. And a lot goes on that as well. How St. Albans do start that game, whether they've got energy having played the one match already, or whether they're tired and Dartford are going to exploit it. But out of the two semi-finals coming up, this is the one I expect to be quite tight and certainly hard to call. Yeah, when you said uh, it was a strange thing for the last game of the season, I thought you meant a draw. Like you say, they're just very win-loss, 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 aren't they? All the way back to the 7th of March when they actually drew away at Hungerford and they'd, uh, they'd lost the game before that at Weymouth and then drew at home to Oxford City. That's when they had the little sticky patch sort of February March time. Um, yeah, so are you? Are we saying it's going to be a Dartford-Oxford City final then? Mm. <laughs> I re- It's really hard to tell. It's 
if it is, then it's fair because that's the second versus third, albeit Oxford were only third on goal difference. Oxford are the, the best team I've seen this season, bar Ebsfleet. So I'd have no complaints. The thing, it sounds like we're dissing Dartford a bit. We're not. We're good at what they do. They they start to play football more in the opposition half, but defensively, they're very steady. Tom Bonner was their player of the year. And he always seems to have a blinder against Bath City. I haven't seen a score there since 2016, and he's usually the focal part of that. And I think they'll be difficult to break down. They'll be very well motivated. They've got a manager who'll know how to set them up. I honestly think that Dartford and St Albans, that game's going to go to extra time and potentially penalty. So to decide a winner is hard. If if I had to put my neck on the line, I actually will slightly side with St Albans. The fact that they've got a good away record, second best away record in the league. And uh, they'll also want to be a revenge having lost at Dartford a few weeks ago. Um, I, I will provide the antithesis to that then. I, I, I will say Dartford. Um, to win against St Albans. I agree with Mark in that I think it will be close. Um, and I, I just get that feeling about Dartford in that, you know, whereas a, the likes of an Oxford City or a Worthing can blow you away and win four or five, I think Dartford, it's a little bit more, you know, concrete, a bit more low risk. Um, and it's going to be a bit, they, they win tighter games. Um But I think that experience of being in the playoffs, having won the playoffs before, and you know, Mark was right to say it there. We're not dissing Dartford. You know, they're second for a reason. You know, as a team, they are the second best team in the league this season. But Dartford are very good at different things. And I think they will keep it tight. They won't take many risks. And they'll probably look to just keep it, you know, one or one or two nil. I mean, they even, I think, woke in one the final under Dowson one nil, if I remember rightly, and even that was from a set piece. So um, there will be very low risk. Um, I think it will be Dartford Oxford City in the final, and I think then it will be a, a case of, for as good as Oxford City have been, can they then unlock a door against a Dartford side who are probably going to give them the the most problems defensively? Um, so it's going to be interesting. Um, but what I like about this is Mark's gone for St Albans. I've gone for Dartford. We both went for Oxford City, but equally see the merits of Worthing. It's a very open playoffs, mm. um, perhaps more so than before, because when Woking won it under Dowson, we all said, well, yeah, Woking were the second best team. They lost to Torquay. They will win the playoffs. But I don't think it's as cut and, cut and dry as that this year. So it's really, really good to see. Now that Joe said that, it's going to be um, a worthy in St Albans final, isn't it? <laughs> you just know it, don't you? Um, of course, it will be at St Albans. Thanks to Mark for joining us and uh, Joe as well. Thank you, guys. No problem. It's been great. Thanks for having me on. That is it. My thanks to all my guests. Enjoy watching the playoffs. Give us a follow on social media. We are on Twitter at NL Full Time. We're also on Instagram as well. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs>